I speak to you in the name of God who was and is and is to come. Amen. My wife and I found out that she was pregnant just a few days after the pandemic shutdowns began in March 2020. And in so many ways, our lives as individuals and as a family has changed since then. By December of that year, we would be holding our son, Sam. And after that, we continue to see our family grow and change. By spring of 2021, my mom would be here from Tennessee. By that summer, my dad and his partner would move here from California. And today it's not uncommon to have all of them or some group of them here on a Sunday or around our dining room table. But two years ago today, that would have felt so inconceivable. The pandemic, though, made them and made us realize how hard it was to be so far apart. And they made some really big and challenging decisions to move here and be closer to us. And we're blessed by their presence. They make an impact on our lives every single week, and it's hard to imagine life without them. Now, some of you hearing this may think, I really wish I had that kind of support, or I wish that my family was closer. Others might appreciate what George Burns once said about family. He said, happiness is having a large, loving, close-knit family in another city. Now, even if you align yourselves more with that last statement, I am going to venture a guess that the opening lines of our gospel struck you as a bit harsh. Jesus says, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Jesus is trying to get our attention and he has mine with words like that. To follow me is not easy. I need you to put God first and be willing to put anything that jeopardizes that commitment to the side. He warns us that even loving our family can distort our commitment to God when we prioritize them over loving God. Because in the end, it's God who ultimately rightly organizes and orders all of our relationships. And it's not that Jesus is anti-family. Quite the contrary. There is something else that's going on here. He wants to make sure that our ideas of family are not limited to blood. Following Jesus brings you and I into a new family, one that is united through water, that's united through baptism. It's a bond of kinship that stretches beyond the boundaries that blood and race and geography, class, and even time itself can place upon us. Because we're bound up with one another in a fellowship with those who seek to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God. We are a part of an eternal family whose very purpose is reconciliation and liberation. And when our families of origin leave us, or they fail us, or when we fail them, 
we are part of this much larger web of connection with God as our ever faithful and ever loving parent. Now this is good and I think really powerful news. But there are challenges in this family too. And our, one of our other readings for today really highlights that. And so I want to spend a little bit of time this morning with Paul's letter to Philemon. We get to hear almost the entire book as part of our lectionary today. And here's some of what it tells us. Paul is writing this letter while he is imprisoned. And he's writing it primarily to Philemon, but there's others at the outset that are being addressed too. And Philemon has become a Christian through Paul's ministry, and he hosts a church in his home. And Onesimus, one of Philemon's slaves, has left that household. Maybe he's run away, or maybe he's been sent to Paul by Philemon. It's unclear as to why or how long he's been away. But in any case, Onesimus has encountered Jesus through Paul, and now he has become a Christian himself. And Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon with this letter that we just heard in his hand. And using rhetoric and skill, Paul is trying to encourage Philemon to receive Onesimus back, not as a slave, but as a brother, and to forgive any wrongs he feels he's committed or any debts that he's owed, even saying, I will take on his debts on his behalf. And Paul hopes, ultimately, that Onesimus will be allowed to return and rejoin him and be a part of his ministry. So there's a lot going on in this short letter. Paul is calling on Philemon to recognize that while Onesimus was already a part of his household, serving him as a slave, now he is so much more than that. He's family. Now legally, socially, Philemon is the one with all the power. And when Onesimus comes bearing this letter, Philemon has every right to extend his hand in frustration or punishment for any wrong that's real or even perceived. He's being encouraged, though, to extend his hand in welcome instead and to receive Onesimus as a brother. So God is up to something and is at work reordering the relationships between these three men who are now united by bonds of kinship and family that hold them together in ways that stand in contrast to the rest of the world around them would see their relationship. Now I want to pause here because the book of Philemon, as with many books in scripture, the book of Philemon is complicated. There is not a clear condemnation of slavery in this letter. It's murky whether or not Paul is implicitly asking Philemon to manumit, to free Onesimus, or if he's asking him to still continue to have him as a slave, but change the way he's treating him, treat him with love and with dignity as he would a brother. There's a lot of ambiguity around here, around this. And what's more, this text has been weaponized to condone slavery in real and deadly ways in our not-too-distant past. It's also important to highlight that we really only hear Paul's perspective. 
we don't get to hear from Philemon, and even more notably, we don't hear from Onesimus directly. Something else about this letter to lift up. It was never a private letter between two individuals. We hear it read from lecterns today, but it was intended to be public from the get-go. Paul addresses it not just to Philemon, but to his house. It was intended to be read aloud for all who gather in Christ's name in his kind of household church. And in the closing lines of the letter, which we don't get to hear today, Paul asks that a guest room be prepared for his arrival. He says that when he gets out of prison, he plans to come visit and see for himself how they are living together as a family of Christ. Because he realizes this shift is going to be a big one for Philemon and his household. And so he makes clear that he intends to follow up and see how it's going when he's able. Now, you and I might clearly and unabashedly be able to say that that slave and master relationship between Onesimus and Philemon, that kind of relationship has no place in God's kingdom. I wonder, though, what power dynamics are still at play today. What jeopardizes our ability to relate to one another across lines of difference? Whose humanity might we be missing by only seeing the role that someone performs in service to our needs? Whose personhood is maybe being veiled by the labels that we've attached to try to keep them a them and us an us? It's Labor Day weekend, and for me this weekend, I've become deeply aware in thinking about this passage how much I have come to depend on and what I expect, how all of that is made possible in large part by individuals who work for wages that make it challenging to live, let alone live life abundantly. And I've been wondering what a letter to my household, written by a friend and a teacher in Christ, would call on me and my family to do. How might we make sure that those who work to make sure that my fridge is stocked, my takeout's delivered in a timely fashion, that the clothing I wear ends up in my closet, how can I make sure that all those individuals are seen and valued for the children of God that they are? Those people that we so often keep at an arm's distance and often aren't in real relationship with. The letter to Philemon highlights that we have to give time and attention and resources to developing the kinds of relationship that God calls us into. Our baptismal covenant, it asks us to seek and serve Christ in all people. It asks us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And that doesn't just happen. It takes work. And sometimes... This kind of love means our rights and our privileges have to be suspended for the good of another in pursuit of God's higher law of love. Those are reminders that I need on a regular basis. We hear this cross-shaped appeal from Jesus and from Paul this morning. They're calling us to reorient ourselves 
to turn away from the ways of the world that place importance on power and profit and privilege at the expense of others. And Jesus calls us to turn toward the cross and the way of love that leads towards it. Cameron Howard, who's a biblical scholar, says this about what it's like to follow Jesus. The path of discipleship can be a lonely one, and yet the promise of discipleship is that we never really walk that path alone. We always walk with Jesus, and as we do, we encounter others who have turned in the same direction. God, help us to walk together. Amen.